Our gospel reading today comes from Luke's gospel, chapter 15, the first ten verses. It came to be so that all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today we find ourselves in the lost chapter of the Bible. Now I just read to you from it, so obviously I don't mean lost like the city of Atlantis or Amelia Earhart's airplane. It's the lost chapter because it's three stories, all distinct and yet all intertwined, about losing something. We read the first ten verses, the stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin. What follows for the rest of the chapter is one of the most familiar stories in all of Scripture, the story of the prodigal son, or as I have come to think of it, the story of the lost family. A quick recap of that story, in case you, like me, need that every once in a while. A man has two sons, and the younger son asks for his inheritance early. The father agrees, so the younger son leaves, traveling and living extravagantly and squandering everything he has, everything he's been given. Then a famine sweeps through the land, and the son realizes the only real option, if he is to survive, is to return to his father and beg forgiveness. The story tells us, then, that he sets off for home, but before he can make it all of the way, his father sees him from far in the distance, and he runs full tilt at his youngest son, and he embraces him and kisses him and calls for a party celebrate his return. The older son, the one who had stayed behind, the one who dutifully did all the work of two sons on his own, well, he returns from the fields to discover what the fuss is about, and he is angry and refuses to join the party. When his father comes and begs him to join, the older son cuts him off. You have done nothing for me. He says, despite all of my loyalty to you. And now this irresponsible, wayward little boy returns. 
and you pull out all the stops. So the father replies, you have always been with me, and everything I have is yours. But even still, celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he is found. So there you have it, the lost chapter of the Bible. The shepherd who leaves 99 sheep behind and goes looking out for the one that is lost. The woman who sweeps her entire house looking for the one coin that is lost. And a lost son who leaves home. And a lost son who stays home. And a lost father struggling to reunite his broken family. This chapter of Luke shows us what we already know in our hearts. That there's more than one way to be lost. At the start of every new school year, I remember a blog post that I read years ago. Glennon Doyle is an activist and an author, and she starts the post talking about attempting to help her son with his fifth grade math homework. That part of the story ends with Glennon being the one receiving the after school tutoring from her son's teacher. The teacher was showing her the new way we do long division. Glennon says, well, I don't have anything to forget since I never mastered the old way of doing long division. Once the math lesson is complete, the two adults continue talking. They talk about how some of the most important things that children learn in school have very little to do with math or history or spelling. Then the teacher told Glennon about her Friday afternoon practice. Every Friday afternoon, the teacher asks her students to take out a piece of paper and write down the names of four classmates they would like to sit with next week. The students know their requests may or may not be honored, but they are welcome to make them. She also asks the students to write down the name of one classmate they believe has been an exemplary citizen the past week. And then all of those papers are handed individually to her. That same afternoon, after the students go home, this teacher, she takes all the pieces of paper and she spreads them out in front of her and she studies them as a whole. She's looking for patterns, she says, and not just because she teaches math. She pays attention to who is not getting requested by anyone, or who doesn't even know four names to write down. She's looking for who never gets noticed enough to be nominated, or who had a dozen friends last week and none this week. You see, she's not looking for a new seating chart or for exceptional citizens. She's looking for the lonely students. She's searching for the ones who are struggling to connect. She's identifying the ones who are prone to fall through the cracks. She's discovering whose gifts go unnoticed. She's watching out for who might be a victim of bullying and who might be doing the bullying. That teacher is looking for the students who are lost. 
There's more than one way to be lost, and we almost always need help to be found. Emmy Kegler, in her book, The Lost Coin, she has opened my eyes in dramatic new ways to this chapter of the Gospel. You see, the standard way of interpreting these stories is to understand ourselves as the wandering sheep, the lost coin, and the foolish younger brother, all lost and then all found. But here, Kegler points out something that I had never even thought about before. Yes, sheep wander. And yes, children and siblings make hasty decisions. But coins? Coins cannot get lost on their own. They can't roll away by themselves. Coins get lost because their owners aren't careful. Whoever was in charge was wasteful or absent-minded. Coins get lost because they lose their shine, because dirt and rust cling to them, and without careful attention, they turn a color indistinguishable from dust and mess, and they can no longer be found. In other words, it's not the coin's fault in the slightest that it is lost. And after reading one of these three stories differently, it's interesting to look at the others differently, too. As for the lost sheep, it's true the whole herd was endangered when the shepherd left them to chase it down. But sheep wander. It is in their nature. They were made that way. Most herd animals are. That's why shepherds exist at all, because sheep are, like the old hymn goes, prone to wander and prone to leave the one they love. And most of the time, sheep wander for good reason. They wander because they're hungry. The field they've been brought to, it isn't fertile enough, or there isn't enough good water or enough green grass. It's not about being rebellious or sinful or stubborn. It's about those pangs that hit you in the side when you realize you need more than is being provided for. Or sheep wander when they are sick or injured or older. They are exhausted from the heat or tired from the walk. They fall to the back of the herd or they lie down for just a moment to rest. And if that herd moves on without them, they aren't wandering. They're just left behind. And sometimes sheep run. Because 100 sheep are 100 potential meals to the predators that wander that very same land. And on occasion, a sheep has to flee as fast as its hooves can carry it. And sometimes, getting lost is simply the cost of staying alive. Something in all of this feels familiar, doesn't it? We all know something about wandering. Haven't we all, at one time or another, tried to find something that will fill us? or somewhere safe to rest, or someone to protect us from a world that seems bent on devouring us? 
Now, as for the prodigal son, Kegler says, if I am to understand myself as the second son, I have a lot of questions. Why, she wonders, does the younger son want to leave? What could cause this sort of fracture? Why does the father agree to give him the money? And does the father come to regret that decision and wish he had done something differently? She says, I like the image of the father pacing the edge of his land, wrinkled hand shielding his eyes, peering off into the distance where he saw his youngest son last. He didn't go after him, but maybe he never stopped looking for him. Maybe there was transformation for the father as well. Maybe while the son misspent his money, the father was regretting misspending his time. Maybe while the son was starving for food, the father was starving for reconciliation. And maybe, just maybe, if something was wrong enough in this family to make the son leave, maybe there was something right enough in the leaving to make the father change. Sometimes the responsibility for our getting lost rests squarely on our shoulders. And sometimes the responsibility for our getting lost is in part a communal effort. Now, to read this chapter from Luke with its traditional interpretation isn't wrong. It has much to teach us. And to read this chapter with Emmy Kegler's insights isn't wrong because it, too, has much to teach us. Because here's the thing. The gospel doesn't ask us to choose one interpretation over the other. The gospel is and always has been multi-layered and rich with meaning and able to speak to us no matter where we are. There is an ancient story. It's claimed by many traditions. The key components are blind men and an elephant. One of the most famous versions is in a poem by John Godfrey Sachs. In his version, six blind men, all unfamiliar with what an elephant is, are asked to touch one and describe it. So the first man, he reaches out and he touches the elephant's side and he proclaims that elephants are like walls. The second man does the same, but he reaches out and grabs a tusk, and so he says that elephants are like spears. The third man touches the elephant's leg and compares it to a tree. The fourth reaches for the elephant's tail and says, well, elephants are like ropes, and so on. And each person in this poem is entirely right. Each person is absolutely correct based upon where they are standing, based upon their location in this elephant exercise and in life. And they are more right when they put it all together. There's more than one way to be lost. Maybe it's the result of your own mistakes. Maybe it's the result of the mistakes of others. 
Maybe you've wandered. Maybe you've been misplaced. Maybe you've discovered that you are far away from home and you are hungry for food and so much more. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what your story, the ending is always the same. The sheep is found and the shepherd calls to all those around, come and rejoice with me. The coin is found and the woman calls to her neighbors and friends, come and rejoice with me. The family is found and the father calls to everyone in the neighborhood, come and rejoice with me. No matter what, no matter how lost you may be, you will be found. You are being found right now. You are never outside the reach of God's love. And if we listen, we can hear the voice of God calling not only to us, but to everyone around us, come and rejoice with me. Come and rejoice. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.